0: That's right, at facebook.com slash the dinner party show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shockwell. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher and Eric. And we are bringing back. Christopher and Eric's True Crime TV Club. It's been away two whole episodes. It's been a week. It's oh, my God. It's been forever. Yeah. Has it been a week or two episodes? I can't remember. One week. One week. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it hasn't been that long. Brutal. Um
1: And you can always listen to these in any order you want. So you can go back and listen to as many True Crime TV Clubs as you want to.
0: In our last episode, we had some- are all fabulous. They are. They're all fabulous. In our last episode, we had some back and forth, some banter, if you will, about my notes- taking style when we do episodes such as these and i just want to say i didn't notice this or i had forgotten that i did this but i have listed the names of the players in this episode of true crime tv club and one of them i have described simply as hot vomiter so you'll have to see why (laughs) we'll come to that part of the story but who is the hot vomiter in this installment of true crime tv club Right, but mm-hmm. it's a trip back home to the south, oh, and it's also a,
1: it was also one of the reasons we um, we picked this episode was because it's hurricane season.
0: It, yeah, and it, yeah, and mm-hmm. we've
1: been so like, I the hurricanes have just I it's like a whole other thing. It's like it, hurricanes are terrible, but it's like they've become something other than hurricanes.
0: I do I, I, so. New like, Jersey uh, was New hit Jersey, by a hurricane. I, no, no, for for a, a hurricane of that magnitude to hit. Our home state, Louisiana, for us to be braced for it, texting frantically with people, losing contact with them halfway through the day it struck, right. which is what happened. They all just dropped out. They were all right. texting furiously. You're then the all power, hoping for the best right? and then waiting to get Then the power goes down and the, and the AT&T service fucked up for everybody. For that storm to then go on and kill, what is it now, 43 people, over 43 people on the East Coast? I don't know what the count
1: is now, but yeah, it went
0: right on up the country. Not since Hugo
1: was like that. When Hugo came in, it went up and I think ended up doing a lot of damage and killing people in Ohio or something. It went that way. It went up through Charlotte and on up into the Midwest, which Mm -hmm. was strange Mm -hmm. um, even then. But this was epic. New York was flooded plenty of people were killed in uh, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, all up in that region of the country, Was, which is usually buffeted by storms, but nothing like being hit by a hurricane. And tornadoes and things they've never even experienced before.
0: Unbelievable. So
1: I don't even know if you can still call that a hurricane.
0: Well, I think so. I mean, I think it's a hurricane that stayed organized as, a, as an organized storm with it, with somewhat of an eye. The thing here, you've heard me say this a million times. This was the day of as I was watching nonstop news coverage that made me go, oh, fuck. The eye of the hurricane became more organized over land, over the south of Louisiana Now that's because most of it isn't really land anymore. There's been such coastal erosion that it crossed what is technically the bottom border, the southern border of the state, and entered um, swamplands that just supercharged it, and that was gave it the strength to. Like, they kept saying all day, oh, it's going to miss New Orleans. It didn't miss New Orleans. Laplace is really a suburb of New Orleans. It may not be technically, but it's, it's just like past the airport. The airport. Right. Yeah, the, just past the airport. So it really, I mean, as we, and you were saying this to me, and I think it's true, everyone I'm talking to says, I will never stay again. Yeah. I will never stay again. And that's important because there's so there were so many false alarms and horrible evacuations on the freeway, right. 14-hour traffic jams to get one hour, that- You have to have a really terrible storm and people who stay to erase those memories and replace them with this one, that this is what's waiting for you if you don't leave. So Yeah,
1: people in Charleston in South Carolina said that after Hugo. It was like, oh, never doing that again. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. it only takes the ones. Yeah. And and if you're lucky enough to survive. And a lot of the people that we knew stayed, it was bad circumstances. Mm -hmm. It wasn't as much a decision as... They didn't have options that they needed, and
0: no. I mean, we know people who lost their housing trapped, option out yeah. of the state, and that's why they had to stay. Or big families that couldn't evacuate together. Animals, big deal. That's big the thing deal. here with uh, yeah, that was the wildfires. She said after, so yeah, yeah, that's the thing here with wildfires. Yeah. Escaping,
1: Getting your animals with you when you go is can be a quite the quite the ordeal, particularly if they're large animals, if they're horses or something. My goodness, yeah, what, unbelievable. I don't even know what you would do.
0: Unbelievable. So this episode of True Crime TV Club does deal with a crime that happens around a deep south hurricane that hits the Gulf Coast.
1: We thought that maybe the hurricane would be more integral. And the circumstances did play a part in the crime. Mm -hmm. It was to that extent. But the storm, this really happens after the storm has passed. It was Hurricane Ivan?
0: Yes, I remember Ivan. Ivan was supposed to hit. It was another false alarm for New Orleans people. I think I may have evacuated my mother from Hurricane Ivan. You know, made her evacuate. It may have been the horrible uh, time. I think it was 2004, yeah, late summer. That'd be about right. Where you got the found her a place on some private Actually, plane. Actually, you that know was what? Leaving or I don't. Something. I don't think she would leave for that one. I think Gustav. Maybe the one before Katrina was the one that I made her leave, and right. it was like a nightmare. Anyway, okay. Okay, I would just want to say something right up front. What?
1: This this series is called Southern Fried Homicide. It is. And my recommendation would be that they hire an actual Southerner to be the um, the narrator.
0: You didn't like the actress doing her fake accent?
1: Who called it Mobile. Mobile, Alabama? Alabama. I was like, nobody has ever called it it may not even be an American. I'm not even sure that any <laughs> Americans have ever called it Mobile, Alabama.
0: Mobile. We call it Mobile. And
1: eventually it corrected and then it went
0: back again. And mobile, they, so Alabama. Mobile. Occasionally she said mobile and I was like um, – "Now you, you watch. We're going to get four Facebook comments from people who are like, I am from Alabama and some of us actually do pronounce it mobile. I will be st- – you will be the first people I have ever met in
1: my entire life, and I won't believe you. But please do keep us posted. No,
0: really. I would be astounded if that's the case.
1: I, let us know.
0: So uh, the episode is entitled Evil Among Us. It's season three, episode three. Okay. That's enough with the formalities. Um, as I said, uh, it's, it's Mobile, Alabama. It's late summer 2004. God damn it. Not Mobile. No, Mobile. But we're mostly going to be talking about something that happened in a town called Chunchula. But I can't trust her pronunciation on that either. I've never heard of this place. I've been to Alabama many never. times. Never. Uh, the population is only three hundred, which kind of explains why you might never might have, have heard of it. it. Yeah. Um, there's no downtown. It's a ve- it's a very small, isolated place in rural Alabama, but close to Mobile. Rural, rural, the rural, excuse the me. Rural. Um. The centerpiece of this story, if you will, the focus is a woman named Lisa Marie Nichols, and she has settled down in Chunchula in the spring of 2004 because it's private and it is close to her job and her children. We will later learn that her children live 45 minutes away, which is not my idea of close, but I live in walkable West Hollywood, so who the fuck am I to judge? Yeah, yeah, Um,
1: but that's pretty, like, if it's in hop-in-the-car world...
0: Yeah. You know, like, going to...
1: Have lunch in Santa Monica is forty five minutes. You know oh, what I yeah, mean? I like know, yeah. so, like I don't we're, know that we're that's...
0: spoiled for being Angelinos. We can, yeah, like we walk here to our studio. Yeah, but but yeah. Most else, LA people can't.
1: Nothing else. Did most people in the world drive that kind of distance to go to different parts of town or work? Or, right. I mean, that's not that. Long a distance, so it's relatively close. But yeah, not next door.
0: Yeah, but uh, Lisa has struggled as a single mom over the years, raising two uh, beautiful daughters, both of whom we were introduced to and who were interviewed extensively. Uh, it turns out, as we later learned, that their father, I think, is still in her life. They're just not married, but they have a somewhat cordial, good relationship. Uh, but she's out on her own now, and she buys a two bedroom double wide in Chinchilla.
1: And that's. I just would like to like draw a little line under that. Like, huh? Really? What, under the double wide? No, under her choosing to go live. I mean, this is like not in thriving downtown Chula. Mm -hmm. Like, it's even a drive from there. There is no downtown Chula. Right, yeah. She is literally in the middle of nowhere in a double wide, which is like... That's a
0: really interesting choice.
1: What's up with that choice?
0: And they said in the narration, private. She liked it because it was private. Right. And it's like, what is this
1: privacy that you need? What is it that you want privacy for? It just seemed like a really, it intrigued
0: me. Yes. On the night, but this isolation becomes a problem when Hurricane Ivan starts for the Gulf Coast because she cannot stay in a double. Double wides are too fragile to endure in a hurricane. They actually attract hurricanes. Uh, It's just terrible, right? So on the night of uh, September 14th, 2004, the hurricane hits. Uh, Her daughters um, decide to stay at a hotel. One of her daughters, excuse me, Amber, decides to stay at a hotel with her husband. Lisa chooses to stay at the hotel. The other daughter, Jennifer, stays at her home with her husband and her children, which is apparently more secure. The hurricane isn't quite as bad as they thought it would be, so they're all able to go back to their homes pretty quickly. And Lisa and her daughter, Amber, go to Lisa's double-wide to basically check on the place and see what kind of damage it has. But when they walk around the back, they find a single pane of glass has been shattered out of the back door in a way that looks entirely man-made. It does not resemble storm damage. Like a break ash. Nothing inside the house has been messed with that they can see. And the power is off, right? That was That's what I got. Yeah. They weren't they weren't specific
1: about it, but there was no power and no phone.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: uh, in in the house. Yeah, phone. and the thing was, and the, that one pane of glass. You're asking
0: running. because you it, was there any sign that someone had deliberately cut the power to just that house? Because they say the power's out and the phone is down, but you're your was it an area wide outage it was due ear- to the hurricane? right. There was, th- I think so.
1: That was the case with the the what I'm I'm really saying it more about that because what an interesting choice to want to go back to.
0: This is a huge part of this story.
1: In the middle of nowhere that has no power and no phone service.
0: From which someone has stolen, as they immediately learn, the knife, the kitchen knife that Lisa would keep tucked under her mattress for protection. That knife is gone and they don't know where it went or but it's the
1: only thing that's missing. Yeah. And still
0: and so the explanation offered is maybe a transient used it to ride out the storm. But even that's terrifying because the transient could still be around. And come back. Yeah. So um, the, the according to the interviews with her daughters, Amber really tried to convince her not to go back to that house. Stay another night with I me. I can't
1: understand why anybody would want to go back to that house. Like, what I, does it have to offer you? You're going to sit around in the dark in this house with no telephone service, no television, nothing? Are your children that horrible? Is Mobile that bad? Like, what's the problem?
0: Two things. She was apparently expected back at work because she goes to work the next day after her return to the house. My personal theory is she really did not like either one of her daughter's husbands. (laughs) And did not want to fucking be in an apartment or a house with either one of them. I guess that
1: may be the case. (laughs) I just thought that was the weirdest choice that I, like... What's going on, girl?
0: And this did have the feel, I know I say this all the time, and it's true probably of all of them, of like there were there were things missing. There was truncation that happened, condensation. If this you is will. the part
1: of the story that's missing. What's yeah. she doing there in the first place and why would she go back under these circumstances?
0: Absolutely. Okay. So the next morning, after returning to her house, Lisa reports for her red eye shift at the local grocery store. Uh, And then she stops communicating with everyone. They can't get in touch with her. Amber's husband, Todd, that's the daughter who was visiting the house with her, goes out to Lisa's house to try to fix her broken window. Um, Oh, no, I'm sorry. I jumped ahead. Once again, Amber, Lisa is... Returning from work, they beg her. They say, please don't stay here. This is clearly a creepy situation. We don't know what happened with the house. And
1: we can't get in touch with you.
0: Yeah. And she won't go because she's hard-headed. That's how they describe her in their interviews. Which is not a good explanation. So it's the following day, September 17th, Jennifer, the other daughter, who I believe is older than Amber, calls Lisa's cell phone. And she's not surprised at first that there's no answer because reception is still fucked up for cell phones because of the hurricane.
1: In fact, I think it's always undependable in that particular location, because she's in the middle of nowhere.
0: Right. She keeps hitting redial, keeps not getting through. So finally, by 9 p.m. that night, they're officially worried. Uh, A friend of Lisa's contacts the daughters to say, I was supposed to talk to Lisa at at a regular time. She was always very regular with our calls. She's not calling. She's not answering. I don't know where she is. It's very out of character. So the daughters get in the car. They drive 40 minutes to go check on their mom. They describe it as, or maybe this was the Southern Fried narration, dark as sin and spooky as all get out. They arrive at the property. The back <laughs> door is cracked. So it's not just unlocked. The back door is actually standing, actually standing open. open. Yeah. Immediately, they're hit by a terrible odor. It's described as being acrid smoke odor. The washer and dryer are black. And in her bedroom, the bed is perfectly made. But the sound of running water draws them to the bathroom.
1: The bed is perfectly made, but covered with ashes. They don't say that, but they show you the picture, and it's like, that's really weird.
0: Eric. Yes, Christopher? Have you been to my website lately? Why would I go to your website? You're sitting right here. Well, it's the place to find out all about my new books. <laughs> ChristopherRiceBooks.com. This ad did not go as planned. This was an ad. So the daughters arrive at the house. They've encountered the sharp smell of smoke. As you pointed out just now, they enter the bedroom, and the narration says the bed was perfectly made. But what did you see when they showed the image? It's covered
1: with ashes. Like there are ashes everywhere. It's so weird.
0: But the sound of running water draws them to Lisa's bathroom. And Todd, Amber's husband, goes ahead of them. He's got a flashlight because there's still no fucking power. But Lisa insisted on staying there. Right. And he freaks out. He doesn't even tell the daughters what they've seen. He just says, go get help. Go get help right now. They run from the house. I think Amber says she ran so fast she tripped and hit her face on the dirt outside. Um. They run over to the neighbor's house. Apparently, she's got a neighbor who lives very close by. Which is the
1: first we've heard of that.
0: I know. So, like, The I middle of nowhere with slated, the neighbors that are close yeah. by. Mm-hmm.
1: And they also had some message from the lady who lived across the street. So I'm like,
0: so is this close by in private or is mm-hmm. there – you
1: know, I just – anyway –
0: So they go to get the neighbors. This was the part of the story that was like a horror movie. But they don't know how bad it is, so they just say, we need your help. And so the neighbors come running, a guy's named Mark Bentley and some other guys that are, like, hanging with him two days after a hurricane. Um, They take off. They run straight into the house. They run right into the bathroom where Todd is, and what they see is a horribly burned corpse. Lisa, they think... Is in the on the bathroom floor. There's an electrical cord. But they can't really tell that it's her. It's that badly burned. The the bathtub is filled with water and I think clothes or something. Yeah. And um, so they run right into this horrific scene that the daughters don't even really know about. Um, they find an electrical cord around her left wrist, and. There's gasoline smell everywhere. Now we sort of, the special starts to get into, begins to interview the two police detectives who are called out to the scene. Detective Paul Birch and Mitch McRae from the Mobile County Sheriff's Department. And they start describing more details of what was found in the bathroom. They said the gasoline smell became evident when they tried to move her body, which yeah, is like when they turned her on off her. detail. Yeah. Um, she's given a rush autopsy. There are three bullet holes in her head. So... Jesus. Also, additional clues point to sexual assault, and she was nude when she was burned. So, uh, the detectives return to the house, which is now a crime scene, obviously. To their eye, the house is mostly spotless, except for a single empty beer can, which is sitting in the middle of the floor. It looked like the living room floor.
1: And an inch of ashes covering
0: everything. I did. There was clearly a fire in this house. The washer and the dryer being blackened was like, why is why that is detail thrown out? I don't know. Out? Anyway, um, I think there were – before they saw the evidence of sexual assault in the bullet holes, they thought that she had been trying to wash clothes in the bathtub and she had been using some kind of kerosene lantern or something that caught fire. That doesn't explain how the, the washer and dryer in a different room were blackened when I they just, first ended the house. Yes. Okay. Um, Very weird. Uh the detectives tell the, fa- the family members that crimes like this are usually somebody the victim knew. So they begin doing, and this is when the special, in my opinion, lingered way too long on all of the red herrings, all the false suspects, the obvious ones. They find her 45-year-old ex-husband, who I believe is the father of Amber and um, Jennifer, but I don't know if they ever say for sure.
1: I thought it was just the father of one of them.
0: Okay, the father of one of them. 45-year-old Larry Brannon. Uh, He's divorced. They've been divorced for 10 years, but they remain close. He would go over and fix things around the trailer. He's apparently just devastated to hear about the murderer. Murder, excuse me. In
1: fact, he was so devastated that it kind of convinced the police that it wasn't him because he was so emotionally yeah. upset that he had lost her because he apparently still cared about her, even though they weren't still together.
0: You're not driving over to somebody's house to fix things around the house if you don't care about Yeah, them, You know? And, you know, maybe there was still a little
1: something, something going on. I don't know. Yeah.
0: Uh, his alibi checks out. He was in Louisiana when the storm hit. Um. A neighbor of Lisa's, as like you mentioned earlier, which I
1: just have to say, maybe the last place on earth you want to go if there's a hurricane is Louisiana.
0: I, I know, like I mean, you went
1: to Louisiana because there was a hurricane. Like, I think you
0: went because there was a woman. Although there. now, saying, yeah, yeah. Um, this poor man. We don't even know this man. We don't always do. They don't reveal why. They just know he was in Louisiana. Right. And somebody else could say he was there. Okay. A, the neighbor of Lisa's says to the detectives that I guess a day or two before the storm, a school teacher. Um, oh, excuse me, she's a retired school teacher. She, she tells them that a guy on a motorcycle pulled up next door and knocked on Lisa's doors. She clearly wasn't home and didn't answer, so he left. This was the neighbor across the street, which is, once yeah. again, middle of nowhere. They were watching a, from across the street. This like, is different from the neighbors who came running the night yeah. the body was discovered. Yeah, so we're now okay. up to two different neighbors that are close enough to run to or
1: right across the street and can observe this guy. He went around back behind the... Um, The double wide, but he was only there like five minutes.
0: Very briefly, uh, they ID him as 48 year old Emmett Crosby. He's an old acquaintance of Lisa's who says they ran into each other at a gas station in town that he runs, and they ran into each other when she moved to the area, uh, which made it sound like she has history in this specific area that they didn't really go into. But okay, Um, he lives one town over in Turnersville. Uh, When police show up on his doorstep, he's white as a sheet, but he makes no bones about the relationship. Um, So it sounded like they were dating. And I don't know if
1: they just found the um, the location or if that was really his house. But it was like, wow, really nice house on this guy. Like the, I just figured it was like somebody who won a a radio contest to be to be the uh, the reenactment. (laughs) This guy and they used his house, which was pretty grand. I was like, wow, the the gas station business in
0: Chowchula is really um, yeah, no going great. I mean, there were light reenact. We haven't really talked about the reenactments. They're pretty light. They're like dialogue-free, mouths moving under They're the really narration. They're really just about
1: giving them something to put under the narration because- there's, you know, it's not like there's all of this home family footage and
0: no. But I will say this so about I think that
1: one picture of
0: the woman the whole time. There, they... there were a couple pictures. She's on the beach. The, the pictures they show of all the men involved, like they have cause to, see, like they're way more attractive in real life than their reenactors. Usually it's the reverse. Although on this, on True Crime TV Club, it's becoming the norm. <laughs> like maybe they can't afford actors who are as attractive as the real attractive people. Okay, so Emmett swears um, he just went to. Uh, <laughs> I didn't want to go. I didn't want to keep going down that road. I wanted to get us yeah, off it. Yeah, I would really drop that. Um, he says he just went to check on her because he just run into her recently. He he is married. He says nothing's going on between them, and that Lisa wasn't home when he knocked. He doesn't have a solid alibi, but there's no evidence against him, and he is so distraught as with Larry, the ex-husband.
1: And it's a perfectly reasonable. Um Set of circumstances because you couldn't call the house and there was no power. So the only way he could have found out was to go. And since she didn't answer the door, he just assumed she'd gone somewhere else because why wouldn't you?
0: Yeah. So now they zero in on Mark Bentley, he's the helpful neighbor. Uh, he left town prior to the hurricane and did not come back though until after Lisa had been killed. They're not really clear on how they established this because there's when Lisa's body was found and then there's when she was killed and we don't the the window of time isn't in, isn't really narrowed down no, to my it satisfaction. But it's not
1: vast. Like yeah. she
0: was killed they think the
1: one night and then found the next night. Yeah. But the Red Eye Grocery shift, I'm not sure when that would conclude.
0: Yeah. I don't. I don't know. The morning, I guess it's over. I guess it's an overnight, right? Well, a red eye flight would start
1: at the wee hours of the morning, and it's over at the start of the day, right? It's over at like sunrise.
0: Yeah, the term is a little fluid because I think they often call five a.m. and six a.m. departures from New York to the West Coast red eyes, but they actually fly mostly in the daylight. But everybody on them is asleep because they're so tired. But yeah, technically, it's like an eleven a eleven p.m. departure from LAX that takes advantage of the time change to get to the East Coast first thing in the morning. Right. So I assume... I don't know why it's not called Graveyard Shift. Maybe that's because it's a scary thing to tell people who are working mostly alone at night in an isolated grocery store that they're on the Graveyard Shift. Yeah, that seems a little, like, <laughs> fatalistic. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Mark had... A, I know, I never thought about that until now, but I would be like that person. Don't call well, it the fucking don't Graveyard call that. Shift. I don't Let's not say that. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Um... Mark had a lot of guys. The moonlight shift. Right, exactly. The tw- no, Twilight's wrong. Anyway, no. Mark had a lot of guys hanging out at his house, and so, a lot. And so one of them was named Scooter Coleman, which is such a southern name. I feel like I knew several Scooters. Um, yeah, so, if because Scott was just so complicated. Right. Why wouldn't you call him Scooter? Scooter is more dynamic than
1: Scott. Skeeter Scotland. is my favorite Southern name. No,
0: no, we have to stop immediately. Okay. Um, Scooter was part of the group that responded when the daughters came running asking for help. And he said he was devastated by discovering Lisa's corpse. Um, and he's the one who reveals that all they heard the daughters say was, my mother's burned, please come help. And they thought, oh, well, she spilled something and then... Horror movie right in front of you. Scooter vomited. A, He's the hot vomiter. I was going to say, he is the hot vomiter, and Scooter's kind of a babe. Um, bore a resemblance to porn star Sam Crockett, I thought.
1: I'll have to go back and review have the footage. I didn't make that immediate that immediate Check jump, in next but,
0: week, yes, please. But maybe so. Um, Scooter vomited, and the cops say that's not the reaction of a killer. Yeah,
1: yeah. they didn't think that seemed likely.
0: But the reaction of the other man in the house
1: was s- suspicious from space.
0: He did not move an inch when the daughters came running. He just continued drinking his beer and he's sober. Allegedly. Well,
1: if he's drinking a beer, he's, I don't even think it's allegedly. It's anymore. not anymore. I think it's over. We'll <laughs> have to check with the hungover people here at the. <laughs> <studio.
0: laughs> also, he has a name. John Paul Chapman. But he went by a nickname. And I'm sorry, I don't want to sound like a dick, but like a nickname, I just feel like nicknames like this are just can be signs that you're going to kill somebody.
1: <laughs> well, he had the three part name, which I thought was the kiss of death. Like, like assassin level. Like name. all the assassins. Yeah. yeah.
0: And we are spoiling this pretty hard. But his nickname is Oklahoma. Because I think he is originally from Oklahoma, or he will have a twisted lineage, as we will soon learn. Okay. Now he got to know Mark. Okay, Bentley. He got to know Mark Bentley, the neighbor. I like that nickname. Okay, what? Okay, Chapman. Like. Okay, Chapman. Like your nickname is okay. I okay. kind of like the that. letters okay or spelled out okay. Well, I think it would be the letters. I think spelling out okay is ridiculous <laughs> under any circumstances. Okay. So Mark Bentley, the neighbor, says that he first met Oklahoma because he drove up to a construction site that Mark was working on. And he said, I need work. And Mark said, I'm not hiring. And Oklahoma said, all right, how about this? I'm going to work for you for one day for free. And if you like what you see, you'll hire me. And if you don't like it, you'll never see me again.
1: Then you get a day for free.
0: And so he really liked what he saw, and he hired the guy. He said the guy was a hard worker. Uh-huh. Um, then he gets mixed up in meth. Like you do. Like you do, if you're named Oklahoma. And you have a paycheck coming in. Right. And so the relationship goes south, and Mark throws him out. Um, But he shows up a few days before the hurricane, claiming to be back on the mend and sober. And he wants to get in with Mark because he believes that there's going to be a lot of construction work to do during the recovery from the storm. And so Mark is like, okay, that sounds right. And he can stay in the house again. He sort of invites him back. And they had become very close previously. And then the math. And it seemed like
1: he was sober, so he gave him the benefit of the doubt and
0: asked him back in. And now detectives cannot find him. But they then they evacuated. Yes. And OK
1: stayed at Mark's house. Oh, that's right. Even though Mark was gone, right. So OK was alone at the house, right? He didn't run
0: with everybody else, and now. He's missing. Now he's missing. So four days later now, we're at December 21st, and I think the storm hit like December 16th or 17th. He's yeah, this is roaring along. John surfaces. Okay, surfaces. Because he calls the cops because he knows they're looking for him, and he says, I'll, I'll, I'll meet with you, but I'm having vehicle problems. And he stays on <laughs> the phone. Which is technically true. He stays on the phone with them for twenty minutes, and as because one, OK is not a
1: genius, he but is, he is a suspect. He is
0: not a genius, but a suspect. Yes. Um, there is. A, I left her name off the roster. I apologize in our show notes. Sheila, I think Edwards or something along that. She's an author who gives commentary, and she says Any- Johnson. I think it was Sheila Johnson. Yes, and she says anybody who has ever seen a cop show knows that it only takes them three minutes to trace you. But this son of a bitch, she didn't say son of a bitch. No, that's me. Says Sheila
1: never speaks that
0: way. Stayed on the phone with them for twenty minutes. So they trace the call and they find him in the passenger seat. And this is one of those. What's being left out here moments in the true crime TV club canon. He's in the passenger seat of this guy who's never identified's pickup truck because he's offered the guy money to apparently drive him out of town. Yeah, that's what happened. But they're not leaving town. So I'm not sure what they- They're just
1: parked on the side of the road somewhere and talking on the phone, which is for 20 minutes. Which is like, what- yeah, mm-hmm. the things in Chachula move at their own pace—the
0: uh, meth pace, the pace of meth. I'm
1: thinking that yeah. everybody in Chachula is moving at the pace of meth. That's <laughs> kind of
0: my—it's on the sign when you pull into town, Right. moving at the pace of meth. Okay, uh, John says to the cops when they show up to the random pickup truck that's on a random road. I—I I knew you were coming for me, and I had every intention of making you shoot me. <laughs> A.K.A. Okay, A.K.A. Oklahoma, A.K.A. the dumbest suspect <laughs> okay, okay. ever. A.K.A. Okay, A.K.A. Okay, math. A.K.A. Okay, okay. okay. Um, he's now in police custody, which um, uh, sure. He is uh, nuts. I mean, he's on math. He's, he's either on math or he's experiencing psychosis because he tells them a rambling, nonsensical story that changes Just by the hour. The most ridiculous set of stories. So it starts with this. He says that he had sex with Lisa, it was consensual, and she died of a heart attack during it. Because that's a thing. And this was the part where I literally, I'm not laughing at the murder of Lisa Nichols. I'm laughing at the insanity of this madman who says to the cops that he shot her corpse three times in the head. This is my favorite part. Take it. Yeah, go with it. Because he
1: knew they wouldn't believe him, and so he was trying to throw suspicion on somebody else with a gun with a gun that he'd stolen from Mark.
0: I I laughed so hard at the insanity and stupidity of that story that I had to stop watching. I actually doubled over at my desk. Just it was so horrible too because it was they were showing Plus you're transcribing everything yeah, and so trying, I had to pause it. I had to pause because who would be, who would expect anybody to believe something so insane. Um uh Mark Bentley's 22 is missing, which they know already. So when John says he shot her with Mark's gun, that part of the story actually does add up, but it still doesn't explain the other shit that he's saying. Then John starts changing his story again. I mean, they're they're just relentlessly questioning someone whose mind is, is scrambled eggs in this point. So he's not going to be able to hold on to anything that is um, plausible.
1: Well, he continues to believe that he's going to convince them. This yes. is the I think the math talking. Yeah. As if you will. <laughs> I just like <laughs> well, then what about this version?
0: Yeah, this will like,
1: change your mind. This will convince
0: you. This is such a window. These interrogation videos are such a window into how um incompetent and insane most of the people the cops deal the homicide detectives deal with are. You know, I mean, we talk about this sometimes, but it's like the, the diabolical criminal mastermind is a conceit of fiction.
1: Right. It's great for the movies, but it very rarely happens in real life. Like yeah. One of the things that's like, we're like four days from the murder. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a lightning fast investigation yeah. in the middle of a hurricane with very little power or telephone and and the massive resources of... The circuit detectives from Mobile, Mm -hmm. from Mobile, um, Mm -hmm. coming to town to investigate somewhere they've never been before. Four days. Right. And we're already interviewing this guy who's admitting to you know having something to do with her death or at least being present for absolutely before he decided to cover up his uh, the, her death by shooting her in the head three
0: times so we're, we're now on version three of, of Oklahoma's story he says Lisa and him were drinking they talked about using drugs together Lisa liked meth it's the first time we're hearing this they got high things took a turn he says she overdosed so again he decided to shoot her to make it look like a murder. So that it wouldn't look like an overdose. And I'm sorry, and it's there's like a, a meth overdose? What does that look like? I did your heart explodes, I assume. I assume it's a cardiac arrest event if it happens. I haven't heard of it. I would it. think it which yeah. I
1: would think would be really would not be masked much by um, shooting in the head, although if you set fire to the person, then maybe that would uh, cover yeah. up your tracks.
0: I So I assume the detective said something on the order of the same thing because we then had version three of Oklahoma's story. Oh. He God saw Lisa guy. outside. He walked over to the house. He hits on her. Uh, they have a beer together. She's losing interest and he pulls a gun. Uh, because his sweet do, talk. if the date starts work. going bad. And if you're, you're a, not
1: buying your, your smooth talk.
0: If you're a piece of shit, like Oklahoma. Apparently. She fought and he shot her. Yes, it turns out, and here's where it's like everything this man has said has been bullshit up until now. He confesses that he did break into her double-wide the night of the storm, and he stole that knife. He was planning to do this. He was taking away her self-defense measure by stealing that knife from the mattress. Which
1: he apparently knew was under the mattress. Mm -hmm. Because it wasn't like the house was tossed. Right. Like, I just... There were pieces missing from this story. Lisa's story is missing from this story. Right.
0: Um, The detectives focus on the fact that this guy has probably done this before, right? Because if it's that premeditated. It just seemed like that
1: there was he was very, he had it all down. He had practiced
0: this. Um, So they do a background check, and it just turns up minor misdemeanors. But they've basically, you know, trespassing and peeping Tom charges from a town called Douglasville in Georgia— But they've sent out an alert with his name to law enforcement departments all over the country, and they get back a very interesting response from Tipton, Missouri. And they say, "Um, John Paul Chapman, with this Social Security card number and this birth date, he's he's in prison. He's in our prison. We have John Paul Chapman. And they're like, what the fuck? So they go back, and this is another thing. I don't want us giving advice to potential criminals, but like— the only person you should call from jail should be your lawyer, because you have no right to privacy around any other call you make. And John and they're listening, even if you of call course, your lawyer. Of course, and they and they will sometimes kick you into a, a bigger jail and try to get you bored so that you'll have no choice but to call to break up the monotony. And then you start singing like a, a bird about the crime that you committed. I so, think
1: this goes back to your earlier point about not. Necessarily, a brain trust in the uh, in the world of criminal behavior. I, well, he calls people who have made bad decisions wind up deciding to be criminals.
0: Exactly. So he calls um, a girlfriend named Vicky in Georgia who does not take his call, but they've got the number that he dialed, and so the detectives zero in on her. And they say we're calling about um, a guy named I guess he was still John Paul Chapman yeah. when okay, and she immediately begins screaming. I knew he did it. I knew he did it. And they realize she's talking about a completely different murder. She's talking about the murder of a teenage girl in her trailer park from years before that was never solved. And apparently, she has a lot of nerve to be this self-righteous for it because she gave him like a false alibi. <laughs> Because he had apparently promised him he didn't. Because she loves that Tammy Wynette song. Right. She stood by her fucking man, even though she was convinced he had murdered a teenage girl that even was also the time, her neighbor. Apparently. The girl's yeah. name was Amanda Charming. Greenwell. She vanished six months before her body was found a month later. This is six months before Lisa's murder. She was stabbed to death and her neck was snapped. John came into Vicky's place bloody and with scratches all over him, and she still lied for him. <sighs> so. Vicki knows a lot about John. She knows that his mother's name is Jeannie Beard, and she lives in Miami, Oklahoma. Miami, I guess is how they pronounced yeah. it. Um, they then get in touch with the sheriff's office there. They say they've been looking for one of Jeannie's sons because he's, a, quote, a pervert who it was wanted for rape there, too. But his name is not John Paul Chapman. His name is Jeremy brian jones and now we get to the part i literally put this i try to keep our notes neutral but i wrote this part of the story is such bullshit in our notes for the show yeah the story we are supposed to believe is that jeremy brian jones who is actually our john paul chapman uh was trying to flee his hometown walked into a bar because he was wanted for rape and murder and whatever there because he's you know okay right He walks into a bar in Missouri. He says to the bartender, I'm having all these troubles and I I need to get away and people want me. And the bartender allegedly says, well, it just so happens I've got a son in prison. Here, you can have his identity. For $20. And the reenactor slides a social security card across the fucking bar and gives it to John. I'm like, this did not happen.
1: Not in a million years. This just did not happen. Not anything even resembling that happened. What do you think happened? I think that they were in jail together. You
0: think so? Not sleeping together, maybe? Could have been. hmm. You know. But I think
1: he stole it from him while he was in jail and then assumed it while they were when he went back out into the world. And
0: it's so weird. Why would they hide that? It? it was just so, I couldn't anyway. Well that may be what he told them. Right. Or but, he told Vicky. Right. That's what he told whoever.
1: Um right. but I think this story at the at best came from
0: Jeremy. Okay.
1: I don't think that came from, I don't think the police went and re-examined the bartender and had the bartender mm-hmm. say, yeah, I sold him my son's identity for $20. I don't think
0: that happened. $20. That was the part where it was like, nobody's selling an identity for $20. Anywhere. There. Even oh then, God.
1: even in 2004. But yeah, no, I think he somehow got it. I think somehow he knew Jeremy
0: mm-hmm.
1: and knew he was in prison or was in prison with him or something of that nature. Yeah. Um, was a criminal together. I have no idea. Jeremy doesn't seem to have been. Such a great guy to begin with, either. Um,
0: It was like, but he didn't
1: buy it from his mom for twenty bucks in a bar. That did not happen. That didn't happen. That's that's the story he told. But he also said that he shot the woman in the head to cover up the murder.
0: Yeah. So October twentieth, two thousand and five. I think this is a little over a year after the storm. Uh, Minutes after. (laughs) I know, right?
1: Lightning fast.
0: Jeremy stands trial for Lisa's murder. He enters a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity. No one is convinced.
1: Stupidity would have been a better
0: plea. No one is convinced he is convicted and he is sentenced to death. Amber, Lisa's daughter, says she'll never forgive him. Uh, They also, it turns out, have enough evidence to charge him with two additional murders. And that's Amanda, the teenage girl that was murdered in the trailer park. And a woman named Catherine Collins from New Orleans, about which we hear nothing. Right, but he's
1: apparently... Convicted of her murder as well.
0: So, Jennifer Lisa's daughter has an interesting take at the end, sort of a, a hopeful note for the episode to end on. She says to make that the basically a terrible situation, I guess. her mother took the guy off the street because it was her murder that sent him to prison. Right. And he had murdered and raped other and people. And would
1: clearly have gone on doing it yeah. if he
0: hadn't gotten caught. Oh, my God. But it's what? hard
1: to imagine somebody that stupid hadn't gotten caught before.
0: That high, I mean, just stupid and high. But this is somebody who that was like meth psychosis. That interrogation,
1: everything about
0: this story is like.
1: I really would like to hear the rest of this story. Okay,
0: well, what do you want to speculate? Was that you know you don't want to impugn the? I mean, it's like was it the
1: the meth capital of Alabama, and she moved back because she wanted to be able to smoke meth after she worked at the grocery the graveyard shift at the grocery store. I mean, I don't know. I don't know why she moved there. I thought. The collection of people living at Mark's house mm-hmm. next door was very unusual. Like, mm-hmm. his family was there and then all of these men. Mm-hmm.
0: Like, I guess maybe— Was the family there? Because they didn't show them in the reenactment. But he had
1: we had the story of he and his family going to stay at a hotel somewhere, and he told That's Jeremy right. that he could stay there by himself at the house. Mm-hmm. So like he's got all these men living there with his family. that's, yeah, that's really unusual. Really um, weird. Yeah, I don't know who his family is and what that means, but whatever. And I don't know. Maybe it's a bunkhouse. I don't know, but it seemed really odd. There was so many oddnesses around this.
0: Oddnesses. I yes. like that term. So
1: many oddnesses around this weird little town in the middle of nowhere. Maybe. The Mayberry of Alabama, but I did not have that impression.
0: Well, it's just because the omissions were so glaring, it was easy to speculate on what I mean, filled them. It
1: was a gulf. And, you know, like meth is the first thing that comes to mind. That right. everybody involved was at some level using meth. He came back and convinced him that he was no longer a meth head. Well, right. that didn't happen. Like, he stole his drugs to begin with, so he threw him out. But he came back and he had, he was holding, and so he mm. let him come back in. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, yeah, he couldn't take him to the hotel with his family. But
0: Listen, I think some of this is – I'm going to call this the post-Henry Diaz era of, of True Crime TV Club, which is after discovering, which we've talked about a bunch, that there was one special we watched that washed this gay guy's life, gay guy's secret life. I've lost my faith. I thought, oh, oh, they probably cut little details here and there. They embellish a little bit. But I've lost my faith in these reenactment-infused shows to even tell the truth anymore. I'm willing to believe that you're right, that that there's a total alternate story. Well, I have to
1: say, I have always been kind of more suspicious of the story. Because you get to a place in these stories and it's like, that didn't happen. Yeah. Like, I think that there is a best faith effort in most cases to present you with something that, while it isn't the entire story, gives you the spirit of the story. Mm -hmm. And then there's stuff like, the, like, I don't feel like we were misled. This guy raped and murdered this woman. Right. Like, I don't know what she was doing there, but that isn't a reason to be raped and murdered. Oh, yeah. So well, And
0: using meth is not a reason to no, be raped and murdered. absolutely yeah. not. So none right. of that
1: really matters. If you didn't include that in the story, it's like, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, you've had friends tell you a story where you go, all right, you're my, my friend, so mm-hmm. I'm going to go with this story, but there's parts missing and i don't yeah. fully believe this exact story but mm-hmm. and i think that's usually the case the 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 henry diaz story was right. exceptional yeah that was really astonishing where they had so altered because that changes the nature of the crime
0: it changes the nature of the crime it, it it's it feels hypocritical because you're already invading the life of a dead person to make this special to begin with so suddenly you decide that homosexuality is so gross that it has to be excised from the story when you've already plundered the, his marriage and All this sort of stuff. Why is it better that he was cheating with a woman than cheating with men? And that's what the reenactments in the Het Wash version showed. He was at a strip club or whatever. No, No, it was even worse than that. He was at a strip club. It's those sorts of bigoted decisions that crop up where you think you're just sort of sanitizing stuff and cleaning it up. And it's like, really, you're showing a bias and a prejudice. And
1: I really want to go back, because we've done two shows from that...
0: Perfect Murder, I think, or A Perfect Murder. I
1: want to go back and find another version of... That particular, the other one that we did, and see if it is as there is a Dateline diverges line. as much from the
0: there is a Dateline episode about the the crime that the other perfect murder crime that we covered, which was the murder of an older man who was dating a younger woman who I think was trying to get sober. Here in LA, I think there is a dateline we could yeah. check. He was a, against it.
1: Like he was either a producer or he was working for a, a Fox or something like that. Yes, his, he yeah. was
0: a producer here in LA. Okay, so we may do that. But yeah, faith is shaken. This is the shaken faith period well, of true crime TV. I think Club.
1: it's um, eyes are widened. Mm. Like mm-hmm. I've always had sort of a bullshit detector when I listen to these stories because sometimes it's like, okay, that I fully, yeah, mm-hmm, that's what happened. And then sometimes you listen, you go, yeah, no, that isn't yeah. what happened. The person's still dead, and I believe you got the right person, but this is not the story. You're telling us, you made up a different version of this story.
0: Okay, well, speaking of versions of stories, in our next episode, we, yes, are, doing, perfectly, Dan. we are doing a true crime movie time. Now, we're not going to pair this with the True Crime TV Club afterwards, but it's sort of going to Move into the next episode in a logical way. If you have way.
1: ever watched the the HBO um, docu series Jinxed, yes, that's the pairing for the movie that we're coming up with. I think it's the Jinx, isn't it? The Jinx.
0: I think you're right. Yeah. Anyway,
1: Jinxed is that movie with Bette Midler and um, <laughs> and Sylvester Stallone, which is not no, has nothing to do we're with Robert not Durst. Doing that, we're not this, doing that. But, this uh, is
0: a movie called All Good Things. It stars Ryan Gosling and Kirsten Dunst of Interview with the Vampire fame. And uh, it is inspired by the real-life story of Robert Durst. It is playing a very weird role in the Robert Durst murder trial, which is happening right now here in Los Angeles as we record this. Um, And we're going to talk about how it touches on that trial as well. Um, I'm going to say without getting ahead of myself, it's a really good movie. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's actually a fictionalized version of the story, and it's good actors. It's Frank Langella and— Um, and Kirsten Dunst and Ryan Gosling. Kristen
0: and, Wig and uh, Lily Robb, uh, Rabe, I don't know how to pronounce her last name, from American Horror Story. Right. A lot of Ryan Murphy shows. Great cast, great director, great score, too. I'm a score It's novel. the
1: same director as from The Jinx.
0: Yes. He made this first and then made The Jinx later. And you'll find out why and how he was able to do that. On the next episode. Yeah. All right. Well, until then. It's a then.
1: fascinating one. And, you know, worth the watch if you've got time to watch it. If not, it's going to be all spoilers all the time as usual here. We'll
0: Absolutely. We'll telling you a movie. Absolutely. Until then and forever after, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Thanks. This is TDPS.